DBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. Good morning, everyone, to another riveting addition to Doubters Believers Alliance. As always, I'm Brian, uh, Brian Odland. Um, don't have a famous last name. Uh, just me in all of my glory. Uh, I will say I already at the top of this talk, uh, if I seem a little spacey or a little, you know, congested, I have a little bit of a cold. My daughter just finished her first week of, um, school preschool, pre-K, whatever you want to call it, and um, I think it was just a little, it was just the poor, the poor girl's body just needed to get used to everything, and she came down with a cold like Thursday afternoon, then it got worse on Friday, and then, of course, uh, since we live in close proximity to each other, um, I got it a little bit, not too bad, but medicated and whatnot, so... Uh, if I seem a little out of it or a little loopy, I apologize, but I'm a little congested. But I'm going to do as best as I can to bring you some good stuff. Um, some all other cool things uh, to fill everyone in on. Um, I sent out, I wrote on our Facebook page the other day, if anybody had any ideas of what to talk about, not that I don't have ideas that I want to bring you guys each week, but sometimes it's just a little easier when the people who listen, I mean, I know people listen because I see people here on live, and then I also, um, you know, we'll have anywhere between like 30 to 80 people that watch it, and then another 30 to 50 people that listen. So don't be shy, people who listen to our content to reach out. Um, on what you want me to talk about, or if Curtis is here one day talking, or someone else, or a guest guest uh, speaker, to let us know what you guys want to know. We're not here just, excuse me, we're not up just here just to hear our own selves talk. We want to bring it to you guys and everything like that. But I did get some feedback um, from actually some family that watch some um, watch it. So we're going to. Um, I'm going to start kind of putting those in order of what I want to do. And some some are going to be some of that stuff that we have uh, covered a little bit. But um, I know we're going to talk about, you know, things in, things that Christians think are in the Bible that really aren't in the Bible or topics. Um, we're going to talk about, like, colonization and how, how does that work in, um, not work with interfaith, but looking at it, like how to deal with colonization from a church perspective. We're going to talk about witchcraft, not Harry Potter and all that stuff, but, you know, just witchcraft and spirituality because someone told me they wanted me to talk about that. So, yeah. And like I said, DBA, we totally pivoted from revolution, not that revolution, the name or anything like that was bad, but it's just more... 
you know, we we kind of came up with DBA because we wanted to be out in the community more, to be community oriented, but not just to stick stick to a certain script of where I have to open the Bible and you know give a sermon from Scripture um, or whatever. But it's just a conversation and a talk. So there's that. So that's going to be coming up the next several weeks. Um, the other thing I want to say. I want to shout out to my wife, Amanda, who is at home doing, you know, taking care of her sick daughter, but she's the one that's doing all the comments and stuff. But I want to support her and her business at what she does. Go to Instagram or Facebook and type in the Misfit Attic. That is the Misfit Attic. Um, she has a show coming up um, here at the uh, next sun or next Saturday, the 25th. So if you're here local, and hearing this between before the 25th um, is called Art in the Hollow, which is uh, Sweet Hollow in St. Paul, really gorgeous old part of St. Paul. And every fall they have these events. So my wife's going to be selling her art and her upcycled stuff there. Be supposed to be pretty nice, good fall day. I think they're going to have some beer and food stuff there. So come come on out, not just support my wife and what she does but support all the local artisans um i'll be there with my daughter and amanda so it'll be fun so uh yeah hopefully you guys can make it out but before or what i'm going to get into today it's two weeks in a row that i'm not using any scripture verses it's fantastic or maybe that's bad no i'm just kidding um I feel like a lot of people have heard me talk over the years of, okay, um, before I get into that, Amanda wrote, uh, the Misfit Attic, my shop link, Brian mentioned there is a link from my upcoming page event on the page. Yeah. Um, so contact Amanda if you're interested in going too. She can help you out with all that. So just want to, she helps me out with, with doing this. I want to help her out and have people come out and support her. Um, but getting back to what I was going to talk about is uh, people have heard my conversations. They've heard me that I was evangelical. They've heard me do a little bit of, you know, mainline ministry church kind of stuff and kind of where I'm at now. But I kind of wanted to give a talk today of just who I am, like my story, how did we get here? And one of the reasons, for instance, I did the Sacred Collective um, podcast that I do, which I know this comes out on that um, feed, but our main our main thrust of Sacred Collective is, uh, you know, every, everyone's important, all of our stories are important, and I'm doing, I'm doing a bunch of interviews with people who you know, they they asked me if they could be on the podcast, and they were like, well, what's kind of like your shtick? What's, what, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I'm always like, everyone's story is important. We're all sacred, not necessarily in the Christian aspect, but I think we're all sacred. All, all humanity, every single person has a story. They have a background. They have shit that they've went through. They've had hills and valleys. And I think hearing people's conversations is important. And I think hearing whether it's bad or good, you know, we need to hear about it. So that's what I'm doing within these interviews in the Sacred Collective. However, 
when I was starting to think about that and I was booking someone um, this past week um, who's going to be on the podcast this week that I'm interviewing on on Wednesday, uh, and it just kind of dawned on me. I'm like, you know, I've been interviewing a lot of people, having them tell their story, what they're doing, and yes, I'm up here every Sunday giving people, I think, some good positive things to take away but i was like i i don't know if i've ever told anybody fully like my story like you know some people like curtis here might have heard my whole story but i think the people who do watch dba um haven't haven't heard or people who don't listen to sacred collective might have not heard so i'm just going to talk quickly today about um about my story kind of from you know infancy kind of to where i'm at currently now and just to show the trajectory of where my life's taken um and just so i'm i'm fully transparent i'm a very vulnerable person and you know if my story can help anybody else's then hey that's a win-win right um so i i grew up in the christian faith whether i had a choice in it or not um, and I will say this uh, I learned this in seminary but every culture every you know every doesn't matter if you're an American you live in America or you're Britain and you've lived in you're in the British you know way of life or you're Russian I will say this there's there's a thing called folk religion and folk religion simply states is the the religion that your culture is doesn't mean you have to uh believe in that said religion but it it is that so i joke with people i did not have a choice to be a christian it was kind of put on me and i know it's going to rub people the wrong way or if my mom watches this she'll be like oh you had the choice and it's like well no in america christianity is the folk religion Obviously, we know that's not the only religion practiced here, but by and large, that's why a lot of our ancestors from Europe came over, was was for religious freedom. And yes, there was, you know, other things too with jobs and stuff, but it was mostly because they wanted to get out of the Church of England and Catholicism, and they wanted to come over here. So I joke with people and say that my like our folk religion is is christianity and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that it is just in american culture since the inception of its and uh, since the inception of this country is folk or, or is christianity so i was so going back my dad grew up in a small town in south dakota um Sisseton, in fact um love a lot of, i love all my family out and, and that part of their um, out there, but my dad grew up Lutheran. He didn't grow up ELCA. I forget exactly what Lutheran denomination he did grow up in. Maybe anybody who watches, um, who's my family, don't know. Um, you could maybe write it a comment if you guys know, or if my mom's watching, you could let me know. But he pretty much told me it wasn't ELCA, but it was uh, a Lutheranish and more kind of a conservative one i don't know if it was like missouri synod or lutheran or uh missouri, yeah there's missouri or wisconsin synod i don't know if it was one of those or whatever anyway so he grew up lutheran and my mom grew up in uh, milwaukee milwaukee proper 
And um, she grew up as Assemblies of God. And haha, you'll see why I um, Assemblies of God. So my mom grew up as Assemblies of God. Um, but the weird thing about that was not my grandparents, not her parents, so it would have been my great grandparents. They were actually in a cult beforehand called uh, the Armstrong. Or, um, it was based off of this guy whose last name was Armstrong, so they would call, call themselves the Armstrongians or whatever. My grandparents, my like my mom's parents, they were never into that, but there was a lot of faith, I will say this, in my family's background and in my own parents and my grandparents on either side and then my great-grandparents um, on either side. So I'm, this might be boring to some people, but it's helping kind of sh uh, shape the narrative or shape my story. So, and I have an older brother who was born six years, he's six years older than me, he's uh, 44, will be 44. I'm 38. Um, so yeah, I had that background. I had, um, I'm sure my parents prayed when I was in the womb. I'm sure they, you know, all this stuff happened. I do say from what my parents had told me, I was a baby who should not have been here. Not saying I was an accident baby. I was definitely planned. But um, health issues. Um, I should have been dead. Um, I came out, um, I tried to kill myself by wrapping my umbilical cord around my neck when I was uh, in the womb. First of all, I tried to come out um, feet first and then um, then pushed me back in and my mom had to have a C-section. Um, so there was that. Um, I had a disease, I think it was called the Brown's disease or Brown syndrome, where nine out of 10 infants died from it. I was that one that bucked the trend. Um, I have scars on my ankles because I had um, veins in my legs that were collapsed that just weren't there. So m until about fifth or sixth grade, I thought it was completely normal to have scars on your ankle. And I thought every, that was normal to me. I thought everyone had scars there. I thought, you know, it's kind of like your belly button or your eyes, like everyone has them. And then until my parents were like, no, like, this is what happened to you. Um, uh, when I was a year and a half old, I had a grand mal seizure. And um, yeah, my mom put me in the bath, and apparently the water was too warm, and had a grand mal seizure, and rushed me to the ER. And everything came to, and I was fine. And the doctor says, if Brian has any more seizures in the next, you know, 72 hours he's gonna have seizures for the rest of his life and probably not live past 30 um and i've never had a seizure since then so i will say this the world is a beastly place um it was trying to get me down from the moment i came into this world even a little bit before so when people find how passionate i am and that i care and love people so much um I say it is because life tried to get me down um, before I was even old enough to function on my own, you know. And, and I don't say that to be like, ha-ha, this is my story. I'm trying to be cool. But no, that's just me. Um, oh, yes, my aunt's watching. Um, 
the my dad grew up the American Lutheran Church in Sisseton. Um, I I don't know if that like I said if that was ELCA, but it's actually you know you answered a question for me. I never knew what church or denomination that was. So thank you, Betty, for um, Aunt Betty for telling me that. It's nice when I have family watching all over. It's pretty cool. I love love technology. But anyway, I uh, that kind of sets the the tone of why I'm so passionate about who I am and what I do is because for all intents and purposes I shouldn't I shouldn't be here you know being with statistics being that one per, like that one baby that bucks the trend that shouldn't be here um it's just crazy and it's intense and I kind of get emotional about it because then I feel bad for all those other babies who had that disease and their parents having to bury them because they died at such a young age. So maybe maybe I felt this call from church or call to ministry or whatever at a young age, and maybe that was put on me whether I wanted it or not. But, you know, here I am today, you know, this Sunday, you know, doing what I'm doing, and, and I love it. But the thing I joke about is, you know, I feel like I had this Jesus calling on my life ever since I was a little kid because... Um, in the AG church, my parents grew up um, or went to after they got married. Um, I played baby Jesus twice. Not once, but twice. So I guess I have some acting chops, I could say, um, in my church plays. And so, and I, I always thought it was creepy when churches do, like, plays. Not, not that I think it's creepy that churches do plays, but that they, uh, like, will have, like, a fake baby like a doll or whatever. Everyone else is real. And then they just have this doll. But no, lo and behold, those two first years of my life, I played um, baby Jesus all wrapped in swaddling clothes, da-da-da-da-da. So I think that that was kind of funny. Um, so there was that. Um, just kind of going through, I'm not going to, I wrote notes down, I'm not maybe going to go ad nauseum into everything, but kind of show the trajectory. Uh Children's Church, I grew up at this church called Summit Avenue Assembly of God. Um, changed changed their name, whatever. And I really liked my time there as a kid. Um, but it's the typical, you know, evangelical type church. We had puppets and, you know, we had games and stuff that we played. And I really remembered enjoying it, you know, as this good Christian kid always would go to like church camps and church events i was like that kid um and then i got a little older i went in in the assemblies of god they you know of course they want to separate you from worldly things so you know there's such a thing as boy scouts and girl scouts which you know helps you to be a better young man or woman helps you you know i know for uh for uh boy scouts it's you know doing things out in the community but also you know there's a lot of camping and stuff involved too but just you know it's these life skills i would say to help you well in the assemblies of god they had these things called royal rangers and missionettes and if someone's watching or even if amanda is watching um i want to i want someone to write what's the highest level of royal rangers or missionettes that they got through because that would be kind of funny um so for in the assemblies of god royal rangers it starts out as straight arrows straight arrows buckaroos i want to say 
I don't know if Royal Rangers was one. Um, Puckers, there's one that I'm missing. And then the older one is called uh, the Trailblazers. And I was just so enamored in that. I loved it because you had this, like, grayish. And it was so funny because they almost used the exact same kind of, like, uh, dress wear, you know, like kind of like a gray, not gray, but like tannish, beigeous um, colored shirt and you would get all these buttons and and things like that but I always joke with people I am the least outdoorsy person that you know I, I hate camping I hate um, you know just my perfect Saturday night would be inside um, even as a kid like watching sports or watching a movie or playing video games I just hated being outside so there was that part that I did in my like really young years. And the funny thing is, if anybody knows me now as an adult, I hate dressing up, cannot stand. I, I'll get, you know, if it's a funeral or if it's like one of my wedding or, you know, going to a really fancy place, yes, I'll dress up and put like a suit and tie on. But as a little kid, I would go to Sunday school and kids' church just dressed up in nice little boy slacks, uh, a nice button-down shirt, and I would put on one of the little little kids snap on ties and i loved i love dressing up and now i mean right now i'm in shorts and in a button-up shirt and this is this is almost kind of dress dressy up for me i love pants and t-shirts and whatever so i think that was kind of funny but then i get to youth group and youth group is and anybody who has kids who's watching knows you know as you get older i mean i know my daughter's only four but my brother's kids who are getting older um i can remember when i was getting older you change so much when you're you know let's say from sixth or seventh grade until like your senior year of high school i mean you not just mentally cognitively but your body changes you know puberty all these things happen and what i just started knowing kind of what happened to me if if I was honest with myself and what I can say now was that was kind of like the start of my deconstruction. And what I mean by that is, and I've talked about this a few weeks back, so I'm not going to go into it ad nauseum, but deconstruction as a way of breaking things down that I thought, not because I want to, and I, like I said, I never want to punt Christianity away because I'm kind of, buckled to that you know for my whole life but there was things within christianity as even as a teenager that i was like huh like i really this doesn't sit well with me and of course people are going to be like well brian who are you to question these things you're just a young kid and you know we're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of god and blah 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 yeah yeah i know that but you know and my mom always would joke with me and she still does and even like my dad when he was alive would be like brian you're such a critical thinker you know you're you're so critically engaging all the time like just be a kid and i remember and and i wish my mom was watching right now but in like during like we would always go to like sunday evening church services because we had sunday mornings and then you know we had sunday nights but in most churches, you know, you have, like, your Bibles in the pews, your songbooks, like, your hymnals. And then you would have, like, little pieces of paper with pencils, you know, to take notes or prayer requests. And 10, 11, 12 years old, I would be watching or I would be listening to the pastor or if there was a missionary or whoever was talking. 
and I would just write down, and my parents thought I was just like scribbling and just doing certain things to kind of keep my mind occupied. And sometimes I was doing that, but a lot of times I would be writing down like, you know, the pastor says this, we should love our neighbors. Why is, why do I not see my neighbors? You know, the, the, the pastor says that all are welcome, but why is it every, every just white people in our church? Why aren't there blacks? Why aren't there Asians? Why is, you know, why is it just Christians that are coming and not Jews or Hindus or Muslim people if they're our brother and sister? And I even remember writing, you know, if there's whores and prostitutes in the Bible and Jesus says to love them, well, where are the whores and the prostitutes? I mean, and I, I wrote this stuff down at like 10 or 11 or 12. And I, and I, my, if my parents could be watching this now, they would probably just be like, wow, you know, like that, that's true. But even back then, now I look back on it in hindsight and I was like, yeah, this was setting me on a trajectory that is kind of in line of where I'm at now in like my thinking. But so first of all, the the one thing that kind of started kind of breaking down for me even in high school was just the idea of um, the GLBTQ things. And, I mean, I grew up in a tradition in the AG that was really uh, antagonistic and downright unaccepting of the queer community. And I tell people, you don't, you can be ignorant on the queer community you can say like you can have your own beliefs and i'm not saying that you can't have those but it was to the point where i knew some people in my youth group were queer or their friends were queer and then when i heard a youth pastor or a kid say you know words like faggot or queer or you know any of these harmful words my my heart broke because i was like that's not being godly that's not being christ like what we're doing and so things started to break down in my head and I was like what like this isn't right purity culture the whole sex before marriage thing I know what they do is to mean well and I know they don't want like young women at 13 14 15 in their youth group walking around carrying a baby I get why they say those things but at the end of the day uh that their body is their body um their conversations they need to have with their parents uh, the parents are supposed to help raise the kids, not the church. And I will say that again. It's the parents that are supposed to help raise their kid, not the church. And when parents put all their hope in the church to teach your kids about these things in life, no. My parents, I love my parents to death, and they had a very healthy teaching, uh, age-appropriate, but they had a very healthy communication with my brother and I about sexuality, sex, sex before marriage, all these things. And that means something to me as almost a 40-year-old person and as someone who's been married for almost 11 years. I still remember vividly these conversations my parents had with me about sex and sexuality and about loving my body um, and that God gave me this body um, to share. In, in the right context, of course. So, and it was all the stuff with purity culture. And then, and anybody who knows me, hot take, you know, especially family who's watching, I'm very opinionated. And, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm unabashedly okay with that. I've always been 
um, opinionated. I've always been a person that speaks my mind. I always joke with family that I'm the black sheep of both sides of my family just because I, at the end of the day, I don't care what people think of me. What, what I care about is what I care about myself and what my wife and my daughter cares about me. And I'm not saying that as, a, as an arrogant thing. I'm just saying that as a person who's confident. And I'm confident in who I am as myself and confident who I am as a, you know someone who believes in Jesus. And I'm just a confident individual. And I'm not going to apologize for that. So in youth group, I think it was my junior year, somewhere in my junior year, I got kicked out of the youth group. And I got kicked out of the youth group because, and I've said this before when we've talked about purity culture and stuff, so I'll go through this quick. But there was a visitor, and it was some guy's retreat we had at the church, some, I don't know, just dumb thing. When all that it was, it was like a purity culture boot camp in essence, looking back on it. And this kid was not from the church. He was a friend of somebody who went. And this kid literally had said, like, he was probably 14, 15 at the time. I was probably 16, so not much younger than me. And he was literally saying, hey, like, I don't want to have sex with a girl right now. I know I'm too young. I know I'm not, you know, I don't want the potential of having a, a child. But he's like, why would God give me these thoughts, these desires, these urges, if I can't even do anything with them? Because, you know, you hear in the church, like, oh, you know, you're going to get, you know, let's say women, and I don't know, everyone's different but like i went through puberty when i was 12 almost 13 and i ended up not getting married until i was 27 so are you trying to say that between over those like what almost 15 years i could never touch myself i could never explore my own body or my sexuality it's like come on but i remember like the youth pastor said to this kid well yeah but if you, everyone has these urges, everyone has these desires, that part's normal. But the sinful part is uh, submitting to them. And this is, is bringing up flashbacks and almost traumatic things. Because I was taught that in the youth group. I, I mean, I was a young man, saw a pretty girl because I'm heterosexual. And I was, I was like, I'm, I'm, I find her attractive. I find her, you know, beautiful. Which is a normal thing. And so this kid was saying, can I masturbate? Would masturbating be wrong to do this? And the youth pastor was like, yep, yep, unequivocally, this is wrong. Not masturbating to a particular person, but I'm just pent up. I need to get this out of my body. And the youth pastor said it was wrong. And I kid you not, everyone, I had like this almost like this Holy Spirit fire coming out of my ears, like this steam. And I was like, that is bullshit. That's like, you are potentially hurting someone biologically because you're saying like these normal feelings that every young man or woman gets natural everyone everyone has desires everyone has urges that that is just who we are and i remember saying to the youth pastor no that's not wrong it's not wrong for whoever to go home if he's in the privacy of his own home or the privacy of his own bathroom or wherever and he masturbates that's not his parents business and that's not the youth pastors or any churches or any pastors business that is his own business that's between him and god if he chooses to or just him and i said this at as a junior in high school 
to my youth pastor, who in all actuality was not that much older than me. And I remember after that, whatever, the youth pastor was like, yeah, I don't think you should come back unless you're sorry for what you said. And I was like, no, I'm not sorry for what I said at all. And then, you know, I would come back every now and then to visit and people were like, well, where were you? And of course I made some bullshit stuff up. Oh, I'm working or I'm in sports or doing whatever, but just so I didn't have to come back to the church. Then our family moved, or we uh, kind of move out of that church, out of that tradition. And um, after I graduated, I went to North Central University, which is an Assemblies of God, in essence, Bible college. They don't say they're a Bible college, but they are. And it's where I met my wife, where I met Amanda. Uh, we both grew up Assemblies of God. And I will say this, this is, and anybody who's been to college will know that in colleges where you're fully for the first time on your own, you're fully, whether you live at home or um, you, you know, are thousands of miles away from your family. This is the first time in your own life that you're truly kind of on your own and can start making really big decisions for yourself. And my first couple of years, I was this, you know, good young Christian man, evangelical, Republican, um, had conservative values on everything from politics to the Bible to whatever. But by the time I graduated college, I was super progressive, super uh, liberal, not leftist, but liberal and all this stuff. And I know people were probably like, oh, that's a phase, that's a phase. Also during college, before going into my last year of school, what really messed me up is my father died. And I've told you guys about this. You know, died at a church that I was interning at. I found him. And I will say this, the toughest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life, I'll try not to cry, but the toughest thing I had to do was call his siblings that night. And my brother and I kind of split in between, and we had to call his siblings to say, hey, you know, your brother passed away. And what? Yeah, like Marlon passed away this evening. And it gives me goosebumps having to say that, but that was such an integral part of my life of, you know, having, my dad was a hero to me until the day I die, my dad will be a hero to me because he taught me not what it was like necessarily to be a man, but he taught me to love people. He taught me to have an open mind. He taught me to speak my mind. He taught me to love others. Some of his theology, me and him, <laughs> we never saw eye to eye, and that's fine. But my mom will say to this day, like, if your dad was still here and still alive, he would unequivocally be so happy that you're marching to your own beat, that you're doing, you guys would probably get into some really heavy debates, but at the end of the day, he would hug you, you would hug him, and you guys would have that connection as a father, son, and that love. So when he died, I kind of went almost in this tailspin of, I feel like everything the church taught me was a lie. Because, and whether that was accurate or not, is how I felt. And if anybody knows the AGs and the Pentecostal tradition and the Pentecostals are all about feelings. 
you know, oh God, I have this feeling that God wants me to say this. I have this feeling that God called me to do this. I have this feeling that I should date this person or break up with that person. That's the real thing that happens. And uh, to be honest, like it was at that moment where I had to step back and it's where lament came true to me, where we always think, oh, we can't doubt. We can't get mad at God. We can't, when we go through suffering and just the shit in our lives, we can't talk about it. Well, I'm here to say, yeah, we can talk about it. And we should talk about it. And I did talk about it. And, but then when I kind of started, when I started coming to terms with that, and I will say to people, I, whether my family who watches this extended family or not, um, I drink now. I can enjoy a beer or a few beers watching a game or over at a friend's house. But I was a raging alcoholic for about a year and a half. And several times I would call my mom or my brother and just be so drunk and so belligerent. Never drove home drunk, so that was good. I always knew that. But I would get so drunk at a party, at a friend's house, at a club, where I would have six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes ten drinks, because I wanted to numb the pain. And I... I felt isolated. My brother was, you know, married, newly married, or, you know, married for a few years at the time. He had a house and a family, and I had nothing. I realized my dad was never going to see me graduate college. He never saw me graduate seminary, never saw me get married, never saw me become a dad for the first time. And those, those are huge. Those are huge things. And I'm not going to apologize to get emotional, but those are huge things that I never got. And I, and truthfully, I get jealous when people talk about their parent, like a dad or grandparents, because I don't have that anymore. I'm not mad when people talk about it. No way. I never would be mad. But I get sad because I'm like, I don't have that anymore. And I don't blame God. I don't blame the universe. I don't blame whatever. It's just life. I got the shitty end of the deal that time. That's how it goes. But in that, even in that dark night of my soul, as I would call it, like, you know, I would say 2005, probably till around 2007, 2008, that, those like three or four years were really bad for me. We can all look in our lives and be like, or look back on our lives and be like, oh, that was really bad, or that was, you know, less than ideal of what I should have done or whatever. But I got into seminary, and I have to thank my friend um, who I've become really good friends with lately, uh, Dr. Tim Setapetaratna, who I had in my undergrad at North Central, and then I had him as a master's level professor at Bethel, and, and then as my doctoral advisor. And it's kind of funny, through the end of this pandemic here, me and him have been really close. Um, but he's the one that kind of pushed me along to get into seminary. Uh, we all have mentors. We also have friends that help us. And I would not be where I'm at today without him. So if Tim watches this, um, I'm forever indebted to you for that. But so I get to seminary, and that's where I really started questioning everything and everything. Everything and everything. Um, I realized in seminary, even at a conservative evangelical seminary, I had I was fully in agreement 
and fully supporting my queer brothers and sisters. I was a universalist, and I actually has friends that I'm still friends with to this day from seminary who had to put out a lot of fires for me. Because um, as I said, I'm not, I'm unabashedly um, opinionated and I'm unabashedly, you know, wear everything on, on my sleeve. But that's who I am. And I, my friends didn't have to do that, but I appreciated. It was also where I deconstructed my view on our normal concepts of hell. And I was going into murky water because a lot of my friends were still talking about, should men or should women be in ministry? Should women be pastors? The complementarian, egalitarian debate. Is it good that we do short-term missions trips or long-term? Like, is what, what is the whatever? Like, these were some of the conversations my friends and classmates were having. And I'm, like, sitting there and being like, I don't think I believe in hell. Hmm. And I lived on campus for a number of years with my, you know, at the end of my you know, master's degree is when I got married, but then doing doctoral work. And so I could just walk to this huge seminary library. And so I was like, hmm, I don't really believe in hell. Are there any books to support my opinion? And I would go down and look at commentaries. I would look, you know, talk to Tim, who was a reference librarian. I'm like, hey, I'm really wanting to research this stuff. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge researcher, knows that I love you know, someone asks me a question, and I'll be like, hey, I don't know, but you know what I'm going to do in my free time? I'm going to go try to find your answer, or your your answer, or the, the answer to your question. And so that was me. And so I came with this firm, and I want anybody watching to know, like, even if you disagree with me, that's 100% okay. That's fine. We don't always have to agree on everything. But no, when I came to my conclusions, it wasn't just, like, because it made me feel good inside, and I wanted to just be like, huh. It was because it was long nights of studying. It was me reading books, journal, praying. It was me just being like, I can't agree with said doctrine anymore, but I'm still okay. I'm still in this, you know, fringe part of Christianity. And then, so that was that. Was that. And then... I would say it was a year or two into my doctoral program where I had a friend introduce me to um, the United Church of Christ. Um, never heard about the church until my friend said it. Um, there's so many denominations, <laughs> you know, in this in this world. And longer story short, told me about it. He's like, I don't think you're evangelical. I'm not evangelical. I just, I just work here and I drop my drop my notebook um you know and i thank you curtis he's a good right hand man so when i so i don't go off off camera um and so i found uh, my wife and i kind of talked about it like let's kind of do our own thing we were both raised ag we both dabbled you know visiting other churches of other denominations but more evangelical and we kind of were like, well, let's talk about it. It was a couple months conversation. We're like, let's check this UCC out. You know, I said my dad was Lutheran. This seems kind of like Lutheran adjacent. Like I want to do the smells and bells and, you know, uh, liturgy and all this stuff. So we tried it out and we fell in love with the church. That so happened to be Kitty Corner across the street from the church that I grew up on. Not too 
not too far of where I, I guess, went religiously. But longer story short, I was in the I was in the ministry track to become an ordained minister within that tradition, and uh, I look back and in that eight year process, I can't tell you I was on the ministry board, so I helped. You know, I knew how much every pastor was making. I knew all the building um, plans of what we're going to do. I knew the guest speakers who were coming. Um, I I was on a youth committee. I was on a children's committee. I was I spiritual life committee. I was the chair of that, which um, helped plan Christmas services, Easter services, things out in the community all that stuff i was on the our uh journey of faith committee which was bringing it was like adult faith formation so in this ucc church i literally was involved in every aspect i was in i helped i was literally and i had some people at the church say you were like an unpaid pastor because and i preached there several times uh, I to this day I've I have a lot of friends in the UCC. I'm not going to kick them under the bus because there's a lot of great people in the UCC. I would say I'm more friends with people from the UCC now than I was ever in in my Pentecostal background. So I don't want to kick that all under the under the tires there. Um, and and just you know I was so involved, so so connected to them, so. Uh, so like that was my life i mean there was times where i would come home from work you know working you know first shift at my job come home take a shower eat dinner real quick with my you know what my wife and daughter and then go to a you know church meeting for the next two or three hours and that was normal i would do that two or three times a week sometimes or you know sundays as a big football fan like me i would be at church you know at 10 o'clock for service and I wouldn't get home till three sometimes four because we would have afternoon meetings or you know all these things but at the end of the day I left that ministry track and as much as it pains me to say this it was probably the best decision within my own spiritual walk and ministry kind of stuff that I've ever done and because everyone who knows me knows that I'm heavily tattooed, you know, all that stuff. And this tradition is, you know, they ordain queer men and women, trans men and women. So having tattoos isn't something that uh, that they were afraid of. But the one thing, and I will say this, and the people who watch from the UCC can push back, and that's fine. But the one thing you never do in the United Church of Christ is you never push back on the policies and procedures and why they do what they do. They're like the parents that say, don't do what I do, do what I say. And you, as a kid, you're like, what? My mom says I shouldn't swear, but yet I hear her when on the phone with her friend and she's cursing up a storm. And then when I talk to her about it, it's like, well, that's different because I'm older and I'm this. You know, I started the process in the UCC in 2014. I was 31, 30 or 31. And even when I left last year at 37, I still was referred to as a young kid, as a young man, 
because in the UCC, the average age of a member of a UCC church, the average age is 70. Not a very young denomination. They'll have you believe that it's a young denomination, but it's not. And the two main ways to be in ministry in the UCC are these. To be a pastor in a parish, a.k.a. church, congregation, or to be a chaplain. Those are your two, those are your two choices. To work in the church or to be a chaplain, meaning, and if you don't know a chaplain, is literally working in a hospital, giving someone, like, you're in essence a pastor outside the church wall. So being a, a pastor, giving people their last rites, hospice chaplain. You can also be a chaplain. <clears throat> the college where I work at, their Christian pastor that represents the Christian community, their UCC, so they're technically a chaplain. You can be a chaplain in a prison system. So that there's difference that you can do. But I remember talking to my advisor who helped me walk through this process. I, his name was Brian as well. And I said, I don't want to do these things. He's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm not called to do chaplaincy. I'm not called to do, quote unquote, church ministry, like getting up and putting on my robes every day. I was like, my theology, just all these things don't, don't mesh well. I mean, like something doesn't sit right. And I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth between me and him and and the UCC. And finally, I kind of created this cool, um, it was right before the pandemic started, I created this, um, what am I trying to say? I came up with an idea for a service for younger people. And I had the pastor signed off on it, the ministry board, everyone that needed to sign off on it at my UCC church signed off on it. And they were like, yep, you know, you, we know you, you're not some random guy, you're educated, you have a doctorate in ministry for crying out loud. Like, we know you, we love you, we care about you, we love your family, go ahead and do this. And so denominations get very particular with their policies and procedures. And I said I wanted the Eucharist. I said I wanted to do communion, which is what the Eucharist is. And so then I had to do licensure through them. So this, mind you, is not our ordination track. It's licensure. So spent a ton of money uh, having to get all my, you know, uh, credentials, not credentials, my um, grades from college, from my both my seminary degrees. I had to write countless papers. Had to do all these things. And while I was doing it, I had a good mindset. I was like, this is frustrating, but I got to do it, blah, 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 blah. All these people that I'm writing know me, but it's this, this same policy and procedure. We got to do this. So I did all this, and I remember it was August of 2020, and it was in the height of you know the pandemic, which we're still in, and I had all these people on Zoom. It was like 20 people on Zoom. And... The guy who led it was, a com and I'm sorry, he was a complete and utter ass. And he was one of the single-handed person that made me never want to do, quote-unquote, church inside the four walls of the church ministry. Because look at right now, I'm in a bar. Bar slash bowling alley. I'm talking to you about this while drinking a beer. 
and I can swear. You would never hear that in a Lutheran church. You would never hear that in a UCC church. You would never hear that in a Presbyterian church, let alone a Assemblies of God church or a Baptist church. Because it just looks bad. It's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what? I guarantee you when Jesus was doing ministry with his disciples, they were probably having some good wine. They were probably having some bread with some olive oil. They were probably having some figs or olives. And maybe they, you know, a lot of these guys were fisher fishermen. Maybe they had some good fish over the fire. They didn't have church in a temple. Sometimes they did, but mostly it was at someone's home. So anyway... More or less, I got my butt ripped ripped open. And all the stuff that I did, it's like they vetted my Facebook profile. They looked at my Instagrams, and they were like, oh, here you said that you were a pastor, but you're not a pastor because you're not ordained, you're not licensed, you're not this. It's wrong for you to say this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And any kind of question or pushback I had, this guy was like, nope. The kibosh, you're not who, you know, you pretty much like, you're not who you say you are until we tell you you are who you say we, you are who we say you are. And that kind of just sent me off. Because I was like, no, you don't get to tell me. You don't get to, you don't get to put that on me. You, you, you're in your position and I respect that. But I don't care if you are 80 years old, 70 years old, 60 years old, and you have degrees. You don't get to tell me if I can call myself a pastor when I have the degrees on my walls to show you that I can. If I've spent years of my life uh, helping people get through crappy situations in their life, I've helped friends who have had, who wanted to have abortions. I've had friends who have come out to me about their sexuality and have never told their family about it. And, and I've had people who've come up to me, friends from college and seminary, who are like, I think I was raped at a party last night. What should I do? And I had people in this tradition tell me, uh, well, since you didn't do it in, with a licensed professional, these, these things don't count in your life. At that point, I... Um, I had already have done uh, two weddings. I performed two weddings. And you know what? You don't have to be a licensed minister to perform a wedding. You can just go online and get your credentials for free. No one cares. So all that being said, you can see this conservative swing into a liberal progressive swing. And it just frustrates me because none of these people accepted... None of these people ex accepted who I am, where where I was doing. Sorry for that. If you heard that in the background, one of the workers here was talking. Um, but none of them, I thought, really truly accepted me for who I am and what I had to offer. Um, and now where I'm at currently... And I've gotten into this kind of with my mom and my brother a little bit. Because they'll say, oh, you just like, you know, putting labels on yourself. Well, you know what, guys? We all like putting labels on ourselves. Saying you're a husband or wife is a label. Saying you're a son or daughter is a label. Saying that you're an employee or employer, those are labels. Roommate, 
or landlord, you know, those are all labels we have as human beings because it works. It's how it's we are. And I will say this. I call myself a Christian agnostic because what makes me inherently Christian is I believe in the teachings and the message of Jesus. I personally believe that there was a real Jesus, this real character who lived. I firmly believe uh, that he died and rose again. That's me. That's my opinion. I don't push that on anyone else. I don't want someone to be like, oh, well, you know, we thought Brian was cool. <laughs> you know, we thought he was progressive. That's just me. I'm never going to push my f- beliefs and feelings. I'm never going to try to any convert anyone. However, where I come down on the agnostic side, and I will say this and I will preface this, within agnosticism and even an atheism, there is what you would call weak agnosticism or weak atheism and strong agnosticism or strong atheism. So in a, the agnostic sense, I'm talking about in a very weak sense. Where I say that I'm an agnostic is I'm agnostic because we cannot empirically, scientifically say these things about Jesus are real. We cannot with all certainty, say that there was a Jesus who died and rose again. We have hope. We have faith. Those aren't provable things. Do I believe Jesus? Do I believe the Scripture is the inspired Word of God? Do I believe that everything's happened in the Bible is true? No, not at all. Not even close. But there's stories in there to prove points, to prove messages. Look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, every religion, every culture has Proverbs that they come up with. They're just words of wisdom, nuggets to live by. And a lot of the teachings that Jesus taught, you can find them in other traditions and find them in other religions as well, not just Christianity. Like the golden rule or turning the cheek. You find that in a lot of a lot of religions and a lot of cultures doesn't mean it's inherently Christian like Christians like to say they are. So I'm agnostic in the sense where I don't know. That's where my agnosticism comes in. I don't know. If someone's like, when you die, do you go to heaven or hell? I don't know. Well, don't you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Well, don't you know, like, that there's life after this life? No, we don't. None of us know. None of us have died and come back and say, hey, I know definitively, guys, that there is this real heaven and then there's this real hell. None of that's ever happened. We don't know that. So my agnosticism, I, I, I'm not a hardcore agnostic person who's like, yeah, there's no God, or if there is a God, I don't really care. I come to the conclusion in my agnosticism is I have my faith, I have my beliefs, I hold them loosely because at the end of the day, I don't think if there is a God and Jesus is up there, he's like, oh my gosh, Brian, you're, you know, you're dangling over the pits of hell by saying you're agnostic because here I am. I don't think God works in those parameters. I think God cares more about, hey, are you going to be loving today? 
Are you going to turn the other cheek when someone viciously attacks you? Are you going to show grace to people that need grace shown to them when grace was shown to you? Are you going to love your kid even if they act like a little snot? Are you going to love your spouse when he or she acts crazy? Are you going to go into a job that you absolutely hate, but you're going to make the best out of it? These are the things I think that are more important of believing. Like, well, you know, this story of Jonah and the whale, that had to really happen. And if that didn't really happen, then my whole faith is shot. It's just done. It's over. So I'm going to wrap up because we're right at about an hour. And my whole point is saying this. All of our stories are important. All of our stories have meaning. But if you really want to know, like, my story, Brian's story, I don't have a famous last name. I don't, I'm not a pastor's kid. I'm not a missionary's kid. I don't have these horror stories of, like, how I was on drugs or everything my whole life and, you know, I was on TV or whatever. No, none of that was with me. But... I think my story is important. I think my story has validity. And if my story can help you out in any sort of way, then that's why I talk about it. But also to say to people, you're on your journey, wherever your journey is. If you're like, I'm, you know, 100% Christian, there's no deviation from that, that's fine. You do you. If you're like, I'm an atheist, but I have like maybe 1%, 2%, you know, fascination with Jesus or God, hey, you do you, man. I'm not here to tell you you can't. But what I'm here to say is your story is important. Your journey is important. And it's valuable and it's important. So don't forget that. Know that you're loved. Know that you're here for a reason. Whether you can tell what that reason is or not but that your story is important and that you're wonderful till next time guys have a good day be nice to each other bye